What happens when all your plans fall apart because of circumstances unfolding in the world? What do you do next? What could you do? That's what we're going to be looking at in this episode of the New Music Industry Podcast. Today I am passing the mic with music you're missing, Brendan Janetti. How are you today, Brendan? I'm doing wonderful. We had a nice uh, pre-chat show about my crazy dogs and their constant <laughs> crying. But you know, beyond that, I'm I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm I'm doing great. And as far as dogs go, I haven't owned any dogs, but it seems like wherever I live, there's always a dog nearby. <laughs> <laughs> so I've had all the fun and, and none of the responsibility. That's been pretty great. Oh, I'm jealous. Yeah. So in lieu of introducing your podcast, I would love for you to share what made you go, we've got to start a podcast. I get that it's a powerful channel for connecting with an audience, but it can also be a really challenging one to grow. Definitely. You know, I think I oftentimes forget that the brand was founded from a podcast um, because it really did start a while ago. For for those that might not be familiar with music you're missing, we work with independent artists. We highlight them on the podcast. We interview them. Yeah. Uh, then we put them on a Spotify playlist. And then we do like a bunch of social content with them. And of course, if they're ever in town, um, we'd love to have them play up for us or, or head to one of their shows. Um, but really, it, it all started when I was in college and it was just a passion project. Um, at the time, I was working at iHeartRadio and Sony Music. So I was working like on radio things as well as the artist side of things. And my end goal at the time was to be an on-air radio personality. And there's no like, you can't entry level on-air radio personality. Like you really have to do things yourself. So I said, you know what? This is the perfect opportunity for for me to combine my skill sets. Let's, let's start a podcast where I interview artists. Um, since I am connected with some through Sony, uh, and it ended up taking off really quickly. Uh, we were just so lucky to be like my, I think my very first episode got front page on Apple Podcasts. Meanwhile, I'm like <laughs> in, in school two hours away from the actual studio that I technically wasn't even allowed to use in the iHeart studio. Um, and yeah, that that is when it really started. Eventually, uh, my co-host and I had to go our separate ways just because we both were in the industry. I signed a radio contract and had to stop my podcast. But then uh, our dear friend COVID came on, came along, and I was quickly let go of my job. Um, and my friend and I, who her name is Devin, she was out on tour when COVID hit um, for Live Nation. And we were just like, bro, this is not going to last two weeks. This is going to be a very long thing. And regardless of not having a job, this like a huge sense of our personalities is is music and working in music. I was so lost. So we were like, what can we do to get back into things? And it originally was, <laughs> we were thinking of booking artists, which in hindsight is hilarious because you can't book artists if there's no venues open. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but we looked at each other randomly one day and we were like, what if we restarted the podcast you had? Like that you still have an audience from it. Let's do it. And that is essentially how it started. You know, people sometimes say I have a radio voice. Never sure whether to take that as a compliment. Are you saying I'm ugly? <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. I, I used to run with that all the time. I used to love telling people that I had a face for radio. But where you're at now must be validating, right? Because you're actually, in a way, you're kind of breaking artists or helping them get more exposure. Yeah, this is honestly, 
I think specifically right now, we're in a moment where this is the most validated and successful I've ever felt. Mm-hmm. And it's really weird to say that because I'm so used to <laughs> to no one caring. And now all of a sudden, everyone cares. Um, and I'm just really, yeah, it is extremely validating. And I think I was actually talking about this. Um, we did I did a TikTok live last night uh, and I was talking to an artist and, and they were saying like, that they get insecure about, you know, wanting validation and how they want to like love their art without the validation. But I've got to be honest, it's human nature to to want to feel validated. And when you finally get it, it is amazing. And it really does, you know, push you to work harder. So I I do, yes, I feel very validated. <laughs> I relate to that very deeply. I just came off of a call with my coach and he was just sharing with me. He didn't know that I had five books, right? And I guess maybe a lot of people don't. So I try to make a point to mention that on the podcast. I'm a commitment first guy, ego second, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm humble. I don't brag about things I do, but you know, it's so important to share. Otherwise people don't get to enjoy what you've created. And I'm sure it's kind of been the same for you on your podcasting journey, just making sure that like, yeah, there's only so many channels and there's only so much time and money and effort that can go into it, but making sure that your message is actually gotten. Oh yeah, absolutely. Also five books. Woo. <laughs> how, how long did, like, when did you first start um, writing? So I must've started around 2012 or 2013-ish, we were working with a new music industry startup called Toon City. I was actually an investor and contractor with the company. So I was in charge of blogging three times a week. And out of the ashes of that, so to speak, came this opportunity to put together a book. And I scrapped the first draft because it was turning into this encyclopedia of personal mm-hmm. development and music. As many people do, it turns out, they scrapped their first draft and just wrote something that was completely authentic to me and what I understood and what I knew about my experience in the music industry, as well as emerging trends and social media and things like that. So the That's first, awesome. yeah, the first book came out in 2015, the new music industry book. And now this is the new music industry podcast, right? So when people see that there's a blip on the radar, maybe they're looking at Ahrefs or some SEO tool and they see a blip for the new music industry, they need to realize that it's actually because I have a book and a podcast by that name and yeah. been going for six years. Wow. Congrats. I mean, good for you for, you know, having the ability to scrap the first project. Um, (laughs) That is something that I struggle with. Like, you know, you put in so much work and if it's done, it's like, all right, well, it's done. Uh, Might as well put it out. But yeah, no, to really kind of hone your craft and sorry, you can probably hear my dogs barking um, to really hone your craft (laughs) uh, and and put something that you're confident out is amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you for that acknowledgement. And I don't want to step over that, but I do need to get the next question. Yeah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) So you've grown quite a following for music you're missing. What do you attribute your success to? Honestly, I think I'm just like our listeners. Like I like I said, it this didn't start with the intention of being my full-time job. Uh it started very much so because I really liked music and I just felt like I guess, you know, we can call it a market. I wasn't thinking like it was a market at the time, um, but there's just a market of, of people who love music and their artists get no attention. And mm-hmm. it's so fun to talk to these people and they put me on to so many good songs. Um, so I think that's really like why people are catching on because it's finally a space for them that isn't curated by the man. It's curated by <laughs> this man <laughs> who's just one of them. 
You're right. It is a bizarre space like that. And I think maybe something people don't know that in terms of really production, it's about an equal playing field between independent and, and signed artists. Now there might be a slight gap in like, okay, we got the world's best mastering engineer. We got the world's best song songwriters and so forth. But in, in terms of what we can do now, even with like, I, I love some of the automated mastering tools. I know that's probably a contentious issue for some people, but it's like they really do work and they really do keep getting better, you know? Absolutely. The the playing field is so leveled now. Uh, so it's amazing because yeah, it's leveled, but it's really the thing that, you know, makes someone be successful is like the marketing behind it. So to be able to at least help yeah. and push someone who sounds like they should be, you know, on the charts is, is pretty a cool thing. Yeah. When I interviewed Dirk Sivers years ago from CD Baby, he shared with me that marketing wasn't ever going to go out of style in the music industry. So I focused nope. on that business mindset and the marketing of music. Absolutely. What are your best tips for new podcasters or even longtime podcasters that have been at this a while, but haven't found their stride? Are there specific things they could be doing to grow their audience? Yeah. I mean, I think really just kind of finding your niche and people that actually relate to your podcast um, is huge. I find a lot of people, I'm in a lot of like be a guest or, you know, podcast collaboration group chats and someone will post and they'll be like, I'm a singer or like I, you know, work in one industry and someone in a completely different industry is like, oh, why don't you come on my podcast? And it's like, that's, it's <laughs> not going to create an episode in which there's going to be like a conversation that one makes sense and two, you know, will captivate a listener. Um, but also I, I, I think, um, just going back to finding your niche, you, everyone can have a podcast, but if you're actually trying to, you know, make it, uh, a thing, why, like why I, I'm going to go back to one time I actually was working at live nation and my boss, I told him I had a podcast and he was like, well, what do you do? And I was like, I interview artists. And he's like, well, why do people care that you interview artists? Right. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, wow. <laughs> that, was a, that was a good point. So it's like, why? Like, why are you doing what you're doing? What is, who are you? Like, who are you to tell me what you're telling me? It's got, at least for how I approach things, um, like kind of work on on your branding first and, and, and then your podcast second almost. Yeah, I had friends who basically said to me, so you're going to write a book and you're going to put it out and then what? Are people going to buy it? <laughs> and And naively, I said, yes. But at the same time, I was familiar with, I could put together a book launch mm -hmm. performance of sorts, which I did with local musicians. And that went pretty good. And I was able to hand out, it was, it was sort of an invitation card, not even a book, but here's where you can go and get it. Here's the QR code, et cetera. And, and beyond that, just with the digital marketing savvy that I had, you know, the new music industry there aren't too many books from having heard from various author, authors, even like John Maxwell, who say have legs, but the new music industry continues to kind of sell, whether it's in or out of season. Mm -hmm. So not huge numbers, but hundreds of books have been sold with the new music industry. And yeah, it continues to, it continues to hold up. So it, it was a great experiment in just discovering like what's going to work, what's something that people actually want. Mm -hmm. yeah. And in addition to that, it's like, do you actually want to talk about what you're talking about? Uh, like finding yeah. a happy medium of this will both please myself and my audience. Yeah. And the other thing that I really relate to what you said was, you know, branding, it can sort of be a game of internal, external. 
And if you focus too much on the external of here are my colors, here's my font, here's my logo, it actually ends up being a superficial thing that makes no difference to Mm -hmm. the audience or not as much of a difference. But if you focus on the internal as well and have that drive every other decision, so like impact, difference, your purpose, what you want to do in the world, then when that drives your decisions, everything gets so much easier. Absolutely. And I, another thing about branding is branding isn't just, you know, slapping your logo on something. And mm-hmm. something that I've I've learned recently is, and it, it the thing about branding is it always made me insecure because I'm like, am, am I being fake right now? But now that my, you know, my podcast is literally an extension of myself. So when I brand, branding can be as little as I'm at a concert and I take a picture and I share it. And now people have further associated me with music. And maybe in the caption, mm-hmm. I say, oh, this is a new artist, like really love him or whatever. Like that, is really beneficial because now my followers know me as the music guy again. Kind of like on Instagram, you can create those little stories, Mm -hmm. categories for your stories. I guess the same thing on a blog, right? You can create categories for different interests. As long as you continually show up in those areas, people kind of get a sense of what you're about and create that association. Mm -hmm. So I have no doubt you've learned a lot from the artists you've interviewed. What's something you discovered recently that was kind of surprising or just has stuck with you? Oh, okay. This is actually a great question. Thank you. Um, I think I, sometimes I forget, I don't know all the answers. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so I see things often. So TikTok is huge for artists right now. And a lot of the time it is fabricated. So artists will put these stories up and be like, my label doesn't want me to put this track out. Like screw my label. Let's, you know, if this gets to 10,000 pre-saves, I'll put it out on my own. I don't care about my label. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, classic marketing scheme. Like that is not real. And, you know, I'm sure sometimes it's not, but I was actually talking to this artist uh, yesterday. His name is Justice Bennett. And he had a very similar situation in which he put out a track on TikTok, it got like 20 million listens when he dropped it. And his manager was so mad. And it was <laughs> not a joke. He was genuinely mad. And then he explained it to me. And it made sense because they were working with the track before it. The track I'm talking about now that blew up was called Bad Day. And before it, they had a track called Real Life Sucks that was getting pushed out to radio. So that was having a moment. And if another track comes up, then it's like you really need to kind of split your resources you can't do that. Like, it doesn't matter if so many people want to listen to it. You you kind of need to be organized when you're working with different teams and such. Um, so that was just interesting to hear because, you know, it's so easy to, to think those things as fake or whatever, but that was genuinely real. Um, and it was just a cool thing that I learned that, you know, <laughs> there is some authenticity left of, on social media. I have a friend who's building an app right now and we kind of went through different scenarios and I was kind of sharing with him, are you actually prepared to have 10 million downloads tomorrow and everybody you know, messing around with your app. And he's like, no, that would be bad. And I'm like, exactly. So the same thing can happen as an artist. Are you actually prepared to have 20 million, 30 million streams tomorrow? And the answer for a lot of artists is going to be like, no way. You know, we can't handle the merch sales. We can't handle the web traffic. You know, people aren't totally present to that. So it's like breakthrough success can be amazing, but then you also have to scale and catch up real quickly or else you lose some of that too. Yeah, that's an amazing point. There was a, a comment on on one of the videos too. Um, he said like, 
uh, if it gets you know x amount of pre-saves i'll i'll drop it in two weeks or something and someone commented and they were like you're wasting so much of this hype like you need to drop it tomorrow and going back to your point like that's just not how it works you need to be able to have like to be able to to deal with what happens when people like mass amount of people do it like or stream your track because like you said if they are buying merch and your merch merch site crashes because you're using like some you know knockoff website you're missing out on sales like you're missing out on revenue and you might get the streams but those streams don't equate to anything other than streams you mentioned tiktok why is that a valuable thing for artists or podcasters or entrepreneurs is it really worthwhile Oh my gosh, yes. I think it really depends on your demographic though. I think I see I do see some people try to use TikTok and it just kind of doesn't really make sense because TikTok has really created a culture. And honestly, I do really like it because it it's there's like a sense of unity there. Like we all kind of talk in the same lingo and we laugh, we have very similar humor and it's, I, I don't see a lot of like fighting as much as you see on other social media, like Twitter. Um, and it's more lighthearted, which I think is great. And for me, at least it has helped me substantially. I, I've had many TikToks go viral and that directly equates to plays on my podcast, new followers on my um playlist and the other day i made a tiktok about my merch and i had a funny shirt people loved it and people bought it and we sold out so mm. it really does have the the power to attract the right people um you can target directly to like the correct audience but also it's fun, it's really fun too <laughs> so since you really love promoting other artists and helping them get more attention on their music name a few artists that you've interviewed or you're listening to right now or people you just think should have more exposure Oh my gosh, there's this artist called Stephen Day who I interviewed. He was, this is a funny story actually. His management reached out to us to interview him. And typically I'm like pretty, like I like to kind of control who comes on the show, who's on the playlist so that it's very authentic to the, the brand. And I started listening to his music. I was like, okay, this is good. Uh, let's let's get him on the show. Like, I, I feel like I, I'll grow to like him. I interviewed him. It was great. And then I really started to dig into his catalog and I was like, oh my God, I think this might be my new favorite artist. And then he recently dropped uh, a new album called The Shapes I'm In. And it is 100% hands down my album of the year. I actually went to his show in Boston like two weeks ago and I got to meet him afterwards. And it was it was a very like full circle moment too. It was the first time I ever got to actually meet a music you're missing artist in person. And it just so happened that it was my favorite at least sonically, you know, artists. It was it was a great experience, and his music. There's specifically his track "Standing Was Flying" is just like so beautifully done and transcends so many genres and demographics. I, I am very confident uh, there's more success in in his future. Since I never get to talk about the music that I love, maybe I'll just join in and chime in yes, with a few please, of my tell favorites. Me. B apostrophe Z the bees. Not too many people have heard of them. One of the number Saving one them right now. Yeah. One of the number one selling artists of all time, they're J-Rock, and they have 49 number one consecutive singles. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's amazing that people don't know. Uh, Winger. So they got written off as a stoner, surfer, hair metal band. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It turns out Kip Winger is the real deal. He's a composer. He knows his way around music like nobody in hard rock. And the band's done amazing things with Red Beach, uh, who also plays for Whitesnake. Harem Scarum, amazing 
uh, melodic rock band from Toronto. I've been following them all along. I've even shared updates from them. So I guess anybody that knows me well isn't going to be a stranger to that <laughs> one. <laughs> and and there's a bunch of others I've been listening to lately, but but those are a few that uh, would love to highlight. Have you ever got to meet any of them or any of your favorite artists? Well, I did get to interview Pete Lesperance from Harem Scarum. So that was really great. On to experts that I've gotten to interview would be Derek Sivers and mm-hmm. Tommy Tallarico, you know, North America's most prolific video game composer, Pete Lesperance, Riley Armstrong at the time was kind of a big hero of mine. James Schramko, who's also been a business coach of mine for, for many years and mentor. Uh, so, you know, those are just a few. We've had Rich Young Lord Farson on the podcast too. Okay. And and we've seemed to have even more interest from from industry now, which is mm-hmm. which is kind of cool too. And we'll see. My my perspective on industry guests is uh they they really have sort of a a perspective on things and and they're not willing to deviate outside of a box they were given to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> and that's disappointing for me as a podcaster. Right? <laughs> yeah, like, no, I, I want the real story and don't talk about, you know, what this narrow box you were given for, from your PR company. You could say mm-hmm. this or not say this. You're, I'm sure you're familiar with that too. Oh, yeah. They could still help your podcast. So there, there is that. Oh, definitely. Are you still as like cool, calm, and collected when you talk to like one of your favorite artists? Yes. But at first, when I was getting started, everything caused me a lot of anxiety performing Mm -hmm. not for the first time but for the second time we were going to go up on a stage in a college campus and the whole day i spent anxious and nervous i couldn't believe it before derek sivers yeah or tommy tolerico was pretty much a wreck but once i got talking with him they're such great guys and they have such great things to say too yeah, so. once you get over that like initial fear hump, I, I literally get so nervous about one everything, but <laughs> specifically, even though it's my job, like talking to artists, we have um our first like in in studio interview, and it's with one of like the the biggest artists we've interviewed, and I'm so nervous for it. It's totally affecting my whole week, but um, <laughs> I, I it, like like you said, uh, eventually it's it's just fine, and like you're in it, and there's really nothing you can do. Exactly, you do get used to it. Yeah. What's the next big step for music you're missing? Do you have any big future plans you can share? Yeah. You know, it's funny because I think on paper, it might be easy to like look at us and be like, oh, okay, they're just like a music blog. But like behind the scenes, we have incredible partnerships and sponsorships yeah. lined up. Um, yeah. Right now, we're, we're sponsoring a entire music festival that has like 5,000 people in attendance. And I'm interviewing all of the artists. I'm doing social promotions um, with a bunch of the artists. We have a merch stand. We have all that stuff. And that's that's coming in two weeks. I just actually got like hundreds of promotional items in the mail today. Um, and it literally almost made me cry. Because it was just really <laughs> surreal to see like my brand come to life on you know where I started in, in promo. Um, and then I actually just got off the phone with, um, I won't say the actual company. I can tell you, well, I don't want to make you edit, but with the media company <laughs> um, about they reached out to it. They reached out and they were just like, Hey, let's like, let's talk. We have similar synergy they huh. use. And I said, okay, yeah, let's definitely do that. Um, and it was one of the, the best calls I think I've ever had. Um, I've never been that confident on a call before. As I said, I'm nervous about everything. Um, so yeah. And then in addition to that, we have like our biggest artists lined up for this month. Uh, we're finally doing in-studio guests. We have a bunch of artists that we've interviewed in the past also coming to Boston. So like, I'm so busy right now uh, and I'm literally couldn't be happier. I'm very excited. 
Yeah. And that's an example of things going well. What it reminded me was an example of things that didn't go well a while back. Oh, no. Yeah. I had a PR company reach out to me a while back to book their own executives or, or employees that were part of the company. So they did two people simultaneously. And then one was an accept and one was a decline. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll prepare for the accept. And then at the last minute, there was a switcheroo. And I was like, I'm not prepared to interview so-and-so. I was prepared to interview this guy. And, and then they were like, oh, but we're a decline. So then after the fact, they declined the interview after the time has already passed. <laughs> that's, that's just the tackiest thing a PR company that could do. Literally so inconsiderate. That's also bad PR for your own PR company. How ironic. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, if that's how you run your PR company, I don't know how legit you are. Or <laughs> yeah, <if you're>... no, <laughs> absolutely. How you're doing with your clients or any of that. Yeah. So I'd like to spend the last few questions basically developing your character and and teasing out additional insights that could be useful to the listener. Number one is what's the last YouTube video you watched? Um, okay, that's funny. I actually YouTube common questions that you get asked on a podcast um, mm. so that I could prepare for this podcast. That's and good. I paused it when they asked and I was I would talk to myself. Um, and then the one before that, it was for the call that I had previously. And I Googled common questions that you talk on like a that you that you get asked on a networking call. So <laughs> I strategically. Gotcha. That's awesome. And it was a very Tim Ferriss ask question. I can't remember what it was he asked. It was something similar. And I was like, oh, that could actually be interesting to reveal the character of the guest. That is a great question. I, I, yeah. It explains without explaining how a person is. Exactly. What is your daily routine like? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I definitely do yoga every day. Um, and when I am not in a routine of doing yoga every day, I am not my best self. Mm. <laughs> like I, it literally elevates me and I am like a superhuman. Uh, I definitely drink a lot of coffee every day. <laughs> um, and I do a lot of work from home. I, I work on my computer pretty much all day and then I go to the gym and then I do some work at the gym and then, yeah, that it's not fun. Um, I just started recently to hang out with my friends more on the weekdays. Um, and then weekends, I, I absolutely try to keep my weekends clear. I have a lot of fun on the weekends. I'm a big fan of hot yoga too. Of course, that's been pretty much null and void for the last 20 months or whatever it's been. Mm -hmm. So that was, I know there was so much to worry about when COVID got announced and believe me, like I worried about it and understood. But when I found out hot yoga was gone, I was like, oh my God, this is going to affect my mental health so much. Um, but I'm happy to say it's back and I'm, you know, I'm thriving. What's the greatest challenge you feel you've overcome on your journey? Uh, I definitely think when I got let go from radio, because I, I really lucked out out of college, I was 22 and I was in, you know, a huge market, Boston, and I ended up going on the morning show. So like I really had great opportunities and then when i got cut and then COVID happened like nothing there was virtually no opportunity and even like even recently i was still trying to get back into some things and there was just no opportunity and then i like obviously just kind of made my own opportunity and i feel like that really has taught me a lot about anytime i'm presented with a challenge to be creative and like you can overcome it. And the first step is like, let's figure out how. Yeah. COVID's a really interesting situation. You know, I will admit that it didn't affect my lifestyle a whole lot. It definitely prevented me from going and doing things that I would normally do, such as I'm a foodie. So I love going to various restaurants, mm. but 
I, you know, I do know that so many people were, were impacted and had to make tough decisions through that. So, I mean, I have to acknowledge that for sure. Yeah. I mean, I also did in fact, so I got cut from radio and I moved to Montana um, <laughs> because I knew at the time COVID like didn't, exist in Montana and we I didn't know how rapidly spread it was going to be so I was like this is a perfect opportunity I finally have like time let's go to Montana this is me making the most of it um obviously I you know covid spread very quickly and mm-hmm. I had to go come home eventually but I, at least I got that experience of living in Montana for I think like 5 weeks um and it was literally like one of the best experiences of my life Montana if I'm not mistaken it's just south of Alberta where I used mm-hmm. to live so I, I think I've been to, oh, I've been to Idaho. I know that. I don't think I've been to Montana, but would love to visit. There's a lot of great uh, nature and things. Oh, it's incredible there. What's the greatest victory you feel you've experienced? Hmm, great question. Um, You know, I don't think that I've had one solid, like huge victory. I think anytime you're a creator or like, a creative even any it's a bunch of small successes because you know with small successes comes opportunity for more success and like you'll never be fulfilled <laughs> um so i think just being able to say that you know i'm doing what i what i like what i love rather and i'm happy at the same time i think is my my favorite like success overall yeah i felt that because i think it's really human nature to continually go am i good enough and and it really starts with our parents and our teachers and and our upbringing all that and and that's something that can torment you well beyond adulthood i'm sure Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, feeling like you're you're good enough and you know after five books and 30 songs released and everything else that's gone on i don't i still don't know if i'm good enough right i still have that going on it really is just comes down to like distinguishing it and and knowing what's going on so that you can actually take actions or be in conversation or do something other than what you would normally do to try to maybe drown it out or oh, you know take sure. it in an unhealthy direction definitely i think self acceptance is in short basically what i was getting at like you know, you spend so much of your time criticizing yourself and I still do, but for, for different things um, and definitely not as intensely. So like finding a relationship within yourself to be happy about any little accomplishments um, and not put so much pressure on yourself to, you know, do the biggest of things I think is, is a, my overall arching success. <laughs> Are there any books that have helped you on your journey? Yes. <laughs> that was, that was a quick yes. Um, I feel like it's going to be cheesy cause I do see it all the time now. Um, and I thought it was like really special to me, <laughs> but atomic habits. Um, I think it's by James clear. James clear. Sounds right. Yeah. Um, I actually read that in Montana and it was July, like something and it was snowing and I read it on a mountaintop in the middle of July alone, like my first day ever going to Montana. And I was like, wow, this is a core memory one. And two, I have learned so much from this. Um, and it was also at the time when I was like doing yoga a lot and it recently I couldn't do it. So it was kind of like a reintroduction to that Zen in a new form. Um, and yeah, that, that really has, has stuck with me a lot. Well, we've packed a lot in a short amount of time, which seems to be my woe lately. So (laughs) thanks for your time and generosity, Brendan. Is there anything else I should have asked? Gosh, no, you did an amazing job. I'm sorry I'm so uh, long-winded, but this was so fun. I I really do appreciate you um, giving me an opportunity to chat with you. And I, I love learning more about you as well.
Yeah, not at all. I think it's my job to let the guests talk and and I'll chime in. Absolutely. Because it is my podcast, but I love to hear <laughs> what's being shared. So yeah, I think we've created a lot of value. And if you happen to be listening and not subscribed yet, why not? Make sure you're subscribed to the show. And if you're watching this on YouTube, same deal. Like, comment, subscribe, and we'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. All right. Thanks. So if you enjoyed this episode of the New Music Industry Podcast, I want to invite you to pick up a copy of the Music Entrepreneur Code. If you're struggling to adapt in pandemic times, this book will help point you in the right direction. Get your copy at musicentrepreneurhq.com slash code. This has been episode 250 of the New Music Industry Podcast. Wow, now we're really starting to feel like a senior podcast. I'm David Anjaweeb, and I look forward to seeing you on the stages of the world. Thank you for listening. Music in this episode was brought to you by Brian Young. Wherever you're listening to this right now, please consider leaving a five-star review and comment to help us get the word out about the podcast. Music